This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Please take your Bibles, Isaiah 59. This has been a difficult week. Tuesday, we had the praise service in here for Sister in Christ, 49 years old, in heaven, as a result of COVID. These beautiful flowers here at the front are uh, to remind us of Tammy and to remind us to pray for her family. Watching the news has also made this a very difficult week. The things that have happened have hit home for us, and especially Church Like Good News, where we have so many military members here. I never thought I would face it the way that we are when you're getting texts and and folks are asking you if your Marines have been called up to go clean up a mess in the Middle East. Never had that happen, Brother Mark, but it happened this week. And to watch my country deteriorate, things that ought to be important to us, problems that we ought to be fixing. By the way, I, I think we've made it a whole lot more complicated than it actually is. But instead of fixing the problems, we're, we're focused on nonsense. And it's all over the news. Just things that don't matter, when things that do matter are being neglected. And putting our great nation at risk. So I've been struggling in my soul this week. As I continue to watch what is happening here at home in Afghanistan, our country is under assault by COVID, natural disaster, hurricanes, fires, extreme heat, rioting in our cities, open borders that make us vulnerable to more COVID, terrorism, Isn't it interesting that 20 years after 9-11, the stage has been set for us to have to go through it all again. Politicians that have us on a collision course with socialism. It has never worked on this planet, and it's not going to work in the United States. But that's what they want. And then there's our president. I pray for our president. I pray that the Lord save him. So let me just share my heart this morning. I feel sorry for the man. No man who is struggling with dementia should have been put forth by his family or a political party to try to lead the greatest nation on earth. So my heart goes out to him. Now we understand why during 
the campaign, they didn't have him in the public eye. They couldn't. And I don't think he should be in the public eye now. I hope that you'll pray that God will save our president, that God will heal our president. But he lacks the cognitive ability to put sentences together, let alone lead our land. Now, there are many opinions as to why all this is happening. But this week, I've been seeking the Lord for a passage that gives divine perspective on it all. And I, I have agonized over this. For one thing, I feel responsible. I want to I be an under-shepherd that faithfully, faithfully leads God's sheep. And yet, at the same time, I'm human and I struggle with perspective too. And that's why I can't look to myself, to try to make sense of this, I have to look to the Lord. And His Word is sufficient to give us what we need to see clearly as we move ahead. We need His divine perspective. And so the Lord led me. I looked at other passages and, and prayed, asking God to work. And He led me to this chapter in Isaiah that you've turned to today. As we begin this message, I want us to remember that the theme of Isaiah 59 is judgment. Let me clarify. The word judgment is used six times in this chapter, and it refers to doing justly. Okay? Doing what is just and right. And, and that goes every, from everything, how you treat your neighbor next door, doing justly, by that, that neighbor, to how you treat your family, and how you respond to co-workers. It's all included. And then four more times, another word is used, another Hebrew word that is correctly translated, justice. So ten times in this chapter, just behavior and the justice of civil government are referred to. Now obviously, contextually, Isaiah is confronting the civil government that was the monarchy in Judah. That's what he's confronting. Our application would be civil government here in our nation. So our personal behavior, is it just, is it righteous, upright? And then over that, the character of our leadership and government. Isaiah saw kings come and go. Uzziah, Hezekiah, and then Manasseh. He witnessed all of that. And he saw the national impact of justice and injustice. Because understand, folks, it doesn't matter how smart our political leaders are. It all comes down to who's going to honor God and who isn't. Are we going to live justly before the Lord so that we can reap His blessing and protection? Or are we going to live unjustly and have to experience the chastening of God? Ultimately, political injustice and a king who forsook the Lord would cost Isaiah his life. And so I want to try to balance this morning the spirit of Jeremiah where we all should be weeping over our land 
and yet present God's truth with the authority of Isaiah. And realize that if this nation is going to be preserved, we're going to have to turn our hearts back to God. But ultimately, this nation, like every other one, will fail. But God's kingdom will go forward. And God's kingdom is here now, dwelling in the hearts of men and women, boys and girls, teenagers, who have put their trust in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> you are citizens of the kingdom now. And the Lord of the kingdom lives right here by His Spirit. And so let's ask God <clears throat> for the perspective we need through His Word on how to look at all that is happening in our land. Once again, we need the Holy Spirit to guide the thinking of His church as we watch events unfold on the national and world scenes. I believe some of the greatest help is right here in Isaiah 59. The theme of this chapter is my admonition today and the title of today's message. When you think about chapter content, when you think about the content of overall books in our Bible, right? Isaiah's theme overall is <clears throat> how God is going to take a nation of rebellious servants, Israel, and turn them into witnesses to, the, to Christ and the Messiah, the Messiah. That's the theme. But one of the other underlying themes in the book is God's justice. God's justice. And here in Isaiah 59, this is Isaiah's justice chapter. It's the theme, the main theme of this chapter. And so I've entitled our message, Remember Isaiah's Justice Chapter. So when you watch headlines, read headlines, and they, they disgust you, they frustrate you, because things that should be so obvious are not, remember Isaiah's justice chapter. When you watch as justice and righteousness are shoved aside for the foolish thinking of men, Remember Isaiah's justice chapter. When you personally face persecution because you're standing for truth, the light, that which will help your neighbors and your country to stay on a course that is protected and right. And when you're, when you're called evil for that, remember Isaiah's justice chapter. Now this is going to be a different message in that I'm just going to work through the passage and I'm going to give a little bit of commentary just helping us understand what does the text say? What did God say to Israel that also applies to us? We're not Israel, we're His church. But understand that it does apply to us. And oh, by the way, there is no nation in the history of civilization that is more like Israel then, first of all, Great Britain, and then one of her children, America. Think about it. Great Britain, though, wasn't founded on biblical principles. We were. Israel had the Old Testament, and based on what they did with God's truth as they followed the Lord, that was blessing or curses, depending on what they chose to do to follow God. 
we, I think, are even more responsible because we were founded on not just Old Testament, but New Testament and gospel. And so, to whom much is given, much will be required. So we need to sit up and take note. Because there's a God in heaven who founded this land, and he's going to hold us responsible. All right, and so let's, let's begin to move through Isaiah 59 now. It begins with a description of a wicked nation. Now listen carefully. What was happening in Israel and what is happening in America. I'll just word it that way. Look at the text. I behold, the Lord's hand is not, or I'm sorry, behold, the Lord's hand is not, the idea here, so shortened that it cannot save. In other words, don't blame him for your calamity. Neither his ear heavy or dull that it cannot hear. The eternal father never develops hearing problems. But your iniquities have separated, literally, again, in the original, have caused separation between you and your God, and your sins have made him hide his face from you that he will not hear. Now, we know that's consistent with the character of God, right? If we regard iniquity in our hearts, he will not hear us, okay? Verse 3. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. It's one thing to take your hand and maybe hurt someone, do something with your hand, but when you take your fingers and deliberately dabble in evil, God sees, he knows that iniquity. I couldn't read that without thinking about the strokes on a keyboard can lead you to all kinds of iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue hath muttered perverseness. Now, what does that mean? Well, this word in the Hebrew is used of speaking unjustly. Muttered perverseness. Listen, Jameson, Fawcett, Brown, in their commentary, call this malicious insinuations and misrepresentations. What is the problem with our media today? Malicious insinuations and misrepresentations. They will lie and lie and lie. And it used to be if they were called on it, it mattered. They don't care. They will misrepresent, they'll insinuate, and it is evil. Remember back in Isaiah 5, 6 that the prophet said that he dwelt in the midst of a people of unclean lips. All right, verse 4. None calleth for justice. Now here's where Isaiah, speaking uh, as the Lord is giving him these words, turns the, the attention to the picture of a courtroom. Of course, in Bible times, the court was the king's court. We understand it as a courtroom. Watch what happens here. None calleth for justice. Someone calls into court, or someone uh, brings, tries to bring justice into court, 
It's the idea of suing righteously. None do that. They don't call for justice, nor plead for truth. They don't plead honestly. They trust in vanity, empty words, confusion, and speak lies. They conceive mischief, trouble, and bring forth iniquity. And that's sin resulting in disaster. I couldn't help read that without thinking about our Justice Department. There are some great people who work in agencies like the FBI and, uh, and, and those other agencies. But at the top, there's a lot of corruption. They are being used to try to bring down political fig figures and hide the reality about other political figures. The love of money is the root of all evil, and, and follow the money. That's the world we live in, where justice wants to come into court, and it's blocked at the doors, the highest level. Verse 5, they hatch cockatrice eggs. Now, what is that? Well, it speaks of a viper or an adder. When I went to the refrigerator this morning, I looked for a chicken egg, not a snake egg. All right? But here's the idea. They hatch snake eggs and weave the spider's web. You know, a spider isn't out there, so the bugs have a place to perch and sun themselves. No, it's out there for one reason. Catch and eat you. He that eateth of their eggs dies. And that which is crushed breaketh out into a viper. In other words, from what is crushed, a viper breaks out. So there's more danger, more death that is released. Just when you think it can't get any worse, somebody breaks open one of their eggs. Ah! Verse 6, their webs shall not become garments, neither shall they cover themselves with their works. In other words, they can't hide and they can't clothe themselves with what they're manufacturing. Their works are works of iniquity, and the act of violence is in their hands. Verse 7, their feet run to evil, and they make haste. They hurry to shed innocent blood. Second time the shedding of innocent blood is mentioned here. Do we have blood on our hands as a nation? Yes, we do. We have killed, murdered millions of babies. Don't think that God doesn't see. If the blood of Cain cried from the ground, think of what he's hearing now. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting, devastation is the idea, and destruction, breaking things are in their path. The way of peace they know not, and there is no judgment or justice, again, in their doings. They that have made them crooked paths, okay, the, the wording here, they have made paths, they've tramped down, tramped down paths that are crooked and complicated. Not straight, but complicated, crooked. Whosoever goeth therein shall not know peace. You follow their paths, you'll never arrive at peace. The world is a dangerous place. There is no peace. Why? Because God said there can't be peace if you're wicked. 
And so, this is, again, the description of a wicked nation. Who Israel was, who we are. Now, let's just be honest about who we are. I have stopped calling my wonderful nation a Christian nation. We are as pagan as Rome and worse. We are. Okay? God has shed His grace on us, but He, he is not obligated from the past to preserve us. Yes, we have cemeteries all over this world where we have sacrificed our very best to preserve freedom. And by the way, for you military members who served in Afghanistan, God used you to help those precious people have 20 years of peace like they've never known. Your labor was not in vain. It was not. But as a nation, we are not right with God. And so the prophet will go on now, beginning in verse 9, with the confession of the wickedness. Who they were, who we are, and you'll see especially in verse 12 that that's where the confession begins. So let's move on. Verse 9, therefore is judgment far from us, neither doth justice Overtake us. Now remember what those words mean. Justice cannot catch up and reach us. It can. We wait, we hope for light, but behold, obscurity, darkness. We look for brightness, but we walk in darkness. It's the gloom there, the idea, the darkness there is the gloom caused by misfortune. Okay? No hope. We grope for the wall like the blind, and we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as in the night. We are in desolate places as dead men. We roar. It's the idea there. The word there actually means to growl. We growl like bears. What makes a bear growl? They're either hungry or they're threatened. And we mourn sore like doves. We look for judgment. Again, justice, but there is none for salvation, but it is far off from us. Just, it grieves my heart. We have the strongest military in all the world and ever. And yet, we appear helpless to the world. Why? Because if we don't have moral fortitude, if we're not right with God, it doesn't matter if you have chariots and horses and footmen. God either saves or he will judge. Verse 12, here's the confession. For our transgressions are multiplied before thee, God, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and as for our iniquities, we know them. We know them. Isaiah is including himself. Back in chapter 6, he says, I dwell, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Remember that? Does the church of Jesus Christ have anything to repent of today? We do. 
Namely, we have not been a voice against what is happening here. We have not wept like Jeremiah. We have not proclaimed like Isaiah. It's not good enough to stand in the shadows and criticize what's happening. We have to take the gospel and offer hope and love to what is happening. And yes, declare, thus saith the Lord. Verse 13, in transgressing and lying against the Lord, again, not just each other, against the Lord, and departing away from our God, speaking those things, literally, that bring oppression. What's that mean? Well, you are oppressed in a victim. Things that bring oppression. Is anybody today saying, you know, the world's not fair and, and uh, I've been mistreated and I deserve better. I'm oppressed. I'm a victim. Do we hear any of that? That's what Isaiah is talking about here. That conversation that just makes everybody think they're a victim and they deserve more. Most others we hear today are racist and oppressors. Therefore, you need to, here's the next word in verse 13, revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood. Verse 14, and judgment is turned away backwards. When it desires to enter the court, it is forced to leave. And justice stands afar off. Justice and those who are supposed to uphold it are far apart. So here's justice, and here's those that are supposed to uphold justice. They're at opposite ends of the spectrum. What does that sound familiar? And truth has fallen in the street. In other words, it cannot stand in the public square. Just watch when someone dares to get on one of our national networks and declare the truth and watch what will happen. It's not allowed to stand. That's hateful. That's racist. That's uncaring. That's whatever phobic. No, it's the truth. But it's not allowed to stand. And then here's a buzzword. Next word, and equity. What is equity? Well, it's used, this word is used three other times in the Old Testament. All right, so it's used here. Two other times it's used in Isaiah. You may want to write down these references. Isaiah 26.10. It's translated there, uprightness. Uprightness. Isaiah 26.10. Isaiah 30 and verse 10. It's translated, right things. And the last time it's used, Amos the prophet uses it in Isaiah, or I'm sorry, in Amos 3.10. And it's translated there, to do right. So uprightness, right things, to do right. That's equity. Interesting. So uprightness, doing the right things in God's eyes, this is what's not allowed to enter. It cannot enter. That's what the verse says. Cannot enter the public square. Now what is equity? I can believe any fool thing I want and you need to treat me like I'm normal and, and just treat me equally. No. Equity is, is when God works in a land and people have the right to do what pleases the Lord. To be just, to be upright, 
okay? That's equity. Not me getting away from the Lord, living in darkness, espousing all kinds of nonsense, and you have to treat me as though I'm normal. It's high time we stand up and say, you know what? God doesn't agree with that. That's not going to help you. That's going to hurt you. No, thus saith the Lord. And I say this not in judgment. I'm telling you, I'm trying to warn you and help you. That's the way we ought to be responding to these things. Letters to the editor. Conversation with the neighbor next door. We had an event Friday night at a local neighborhood, and, and uh, I was there. We had two more of our chaplains. These guys, are they love the Lord. They are pastors in the area. One of those chaplains was sitting on a park bench talking to a little boy who was about this big. And this boy was asking him, was Jesus a boy or a girl, and how do we know? And the little guy walked away, and the chaplain looked at me, another chaplain, and he said, did you hear that? Okay, you know what? That chaplain took the time to say, no, young man, Jesus is a man. Okay, a man. God made him a man. And he is the God-man. But where's he getting that stuff? Well, because equity is, we can teach whatever we want. We all just have to like it and get along. No, we don't. And the Lord is saying here, this is what we need to confess to the Father. That's wrong. That's nonsense. And you'll pay the price if you believe it. Judgment is turned away backwards. Justice stands afar off. For truth has fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. Now note this. Doing what is right in God's eyes brings equity. Erasing God's moral attributes including gender and marriage. Okay? That's truth falling down, and that'll bring judgment. I'll just be honest this morning, all right? I had nothing to do with the fact that God made me a white male. <gasps> Sorry. Okay? Had nothing to do with that. And I'm not responsible for my father's behavior or my grandfather's behavior. You know what? I'm going to give an account for me. You're going to give an account for you. And I don't think God's going to bring up the skin color because you had nothing to do with skin color. God did. Equity begins with the truth when we're all willing to admit we're one race created by God. That people have the right to protect their God-given property and national borders. And when we move away from what God has said, just, has said justice will be shut out. Welcome to America 2021. Verse 15, yea, truth fails he that departs from evil makes himself a prey. Those who won't run with the wicked become a prey to the wicked. Just try baking a wedding cake for somebody that doesn't see it like you see it. Just try uh, saying, no, I won't make you flowers for that, but I'll make you flowers for something else. 
And the Lord saw it, and this is what matters, folks, verse 15, and it displeased him. Literally, the Hebrew is, it was evil in his eyes. And when you do something and God sees it as evil in his eyes, you better watch out. What was evil? Well, end of verse 15, that there was no judgment. All right, now, this is where we get to the good part. Have you been able to follow what God has said to Isaiah, through Isaiah up to this point? Here's what's happening, and here's how God views it. It's wickedness. God will judge wickedness. But notice here, and this is the help for us today, all right? Notice the conqueror of the wickedness. It begins in verse 16, this, this presentation. And this is a presentation of who the Lord is. All right, here's Israel. Here's what they are before God. But notice, here is who the Lord is. And this is what comforts my heart. Verse 16, and he, the Lord, saw that there was no man and wondered. That word means to be amazed, to be shocked. Marveled that there was no man. We'll see what that's about in just a moment. But why is he shocked? Well, he's dealing with Israel, the people that knew God. They were the people of God. They had the word of God. That's why he's shocked. That there was no intercessor. There was no one to help uphold justice. And once again, it's speaking at the top levels. You've got men like Isaiah and Jeremiah, but, but at the top levels, not everybody was like Hezekiah. At the top levels, there was no intercessor. Do you know what a good political leader is? He's a shepherd. And by the way, if you're in leadership at all, if you're a good leader, you're a shepherd of people. You don't use people to get to your ends. You use what you can to help people thrive. There was nobody like that helping in Israel. Hold your place here and go over a couple chapters to Isaiah 63. Isaiah 63, notice verse 5. And I looked and there was none to help and I wondered that there was none to uphold. Mine own, therefore mine own arm brought salvation unto me, the Lord is saying here, and my fury, it upheld me. So there was no one to help. That's what Isaiah is talking about here as he speaks, uh, as the Lord speaks through him. Now let's go on. Therefore his arm brought salvation unto him. And his righteousness, it sustained or it upheld him. So what the Lord is saying is his nature is offended as God who embodies righteous judgment. What he sees happening offends him. It's, the very, it's contrary to what he made man in God's image to be. He also created those who were being unjustly treated. He created them and as they cry out to him, all right, God sees, he hears. He sees that those who are trying to do right have become a prey by doing so. Now, how does the Lord counter the unjust, unrighteous living? Verse 7, and this, again, this needs to cause America, like Nineveh of old, to repent, sackcloth and ashes. 
How does, the God, how does God respond? Verse 17. He prepares for battle. Everything that we're seeing happen right now, is it, is it maybe that God's preparing for battle? And he's not on our side? Verse 17. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation upon his head. So the head and the vital organs need the greatest protection, don't they, when an enemy attacks. Spiritually, the head and the heart need protection from the greatest enemies that are out there. And the Lord has equipped himself with both for the cause of righteous judgment and the preservation of his righteous ones. Now watch. Again, verse 17, And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. A warrior ready for battle. Now watch. Adam Clark in his commentary said this, Two sorts of armor are mentioned, a breastplate and a helmet, to bring righteousness and salvation to those who fear him, and the garments of vengeance and the cloak of zeal for the destruction of all those who finally oppose him. Do you know no one has ever gone against God in battle and won? They haven't had a chance. So Isaiah, who's he speaking of? He's speaking of Messiah. He's speaking of Christ. The conqueror, to conquer the justice problem, Jesus Christ would have to conquer the sin problem. To deal with unjust behavior, Jesus would graciously conquer the fallen nature as he is the warrior redeemer. Say, well, we should all head for the hills. We should hide for cover. No, no, no. Understand what Isaiah is saying here. Now the Lord provides for his redeemed warriors the same armor. In fact, as we read in Isaiah, those of you that know your Bible, that sounds like he's quoting Ephesians chapter 6 in the armor of God, doesn't it? So here's the point. Here is the point. And I know you're listening. You've been so careful to listen today. When God saw this open rebellion and this injustice happening on the earth, he prepared for battle. And what did he do? He came here and he became one of us. He entered the battlefield. For what reason? So he could wipe out all rebellion? No, so that he could wipe out rebellion in man by taking that rebellion on himself and becoming sin for us. So in his righteousness, helmet of salvation, what this is predicting is that Jesus would come here, he would die on a cross, all this junk that we're reading about, all the sin that we're witnessing out there, and by the way, we were all part of that at one time too. What did Jesus do? He conquered by entering that fray, taking the penalty of all that sin on himself, dying on the cross, and now he offers to us, the warrior redeemer offers to us who are redeemed that now we can be warriors through his strength as we face all of this. Through salvation and righteous living that lovingly confronts the lost of their need for his righteousness. 
He'll use us to make a, a difference in the darkness. Remember that the vengeance isn't ours. And this is where practically Christians, we have to be careful. I can complain with the best of them. I, you know what? I, I think one of these networks ought to hire me because I can commentate too. I can. You want to hear it? No, not now. Okay. I, I can do that too. But here's what I have to remember. My job is to be, as one of the redeemed, a warrior for Jesus Christ. So I put on the armor. And my feet are shod with a preparation of the gospel of peace. And I go to those who don't have peace, and they're illustrating it by all this nonsense they're pursuing, trying to satisfy the void. So I take the gospel to them. I tell them about Jesus Christ. And I don't get angry at them. Blind people stumble. And I remember this, that everything that they're doing is they wave their colored flags and everything else. God is going to make that right. How do we know? Because he said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Remember, he's wearing the cloak of vengeance, not me. That was never included in the armor. Now what does the warrior redeemer's vengeance look like? Verse 18, according to their deeds. Okay, so as they've responded to others unjustly, their recompenses according to their deeds, accordingly he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. To the islands he will repay recompense. Three times in that verse, God says, the way you pay I repay. Can you and I trust God? It doesn't matter how they pay. Can we trust God to repay and that's his business? We need to be doing a lot more praying to God. Lord, let's, we'll leave the repaying to you. Just help us to be faithful. What you've called us to do. The comfort here is that God's payback is perfect. Each act of injustice is repaid with perfect justice. This is one of the underlying themes of Isaiah's prophecy, meant to give confidence and courage to God's people. And by the way, when you read the book of Revelation, we read about an altar in heaven, and underneath that altar are the prayers of the saints. And what have they prayed? Lord, how long till you take vengeance? See, that, that's God's business. Lord, how long is it going to be? This ought to bring confidence and courage to God's people. Isaiah 35 verse 4 says this, Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. It's taken care of, folks. Both comings of Christ are in view here. First, the Redeemer coming to conquer sin. Second, the warrior coming to, rebel, to conquer rebellious sinners who would not repent. That's coming. This chapter ends with Christ's second coming in view when injustice on earth meets its final blow. All right, are you ready? Here's the conclusion. Verse 19, so shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood. Okay, that's a reference to Israel being 
overrun by her enemies at the end of the tribulation. Remember Armageddon? There you go. The Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. Well, what's that? Well, whenever the standard remains up, that means you're victorious. It's when your standards come down that the enemies overwhelms you. So literally, God is going to put to flight in his battle, Christ's battle. His flags will remain standing. The enemy's flags will come down. Verse 20, And the Redeemer shall come to Zion, and unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. The nation's going to turn and believe on God. By the way, so will the Gentile nations. There is going to be a great reaping during the tribulation. Many will be saved. Verse 21, As for me, this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord. My spirit that is upon thee, and my words which I have put in thy mouth shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed's seed, saith the Lord, from henceforth and, what's the last word? Forever. And you may even want to write in your Bible next to that word, the forever fix. It's not something's patched up, well, until the next political figure comes on. No, no, no. God fixes it. Forever. Now, what is the source of perfect justice and righteousness? Again, listen, the Spirit of God using the Word of God to transform a life. You and me as believers. This is the promise of the new covenant, in verse 21, that will impact generations of Jews and Gentiles when Jesus returns. As we close, unless God graciously sends a national revival and spiritual awakening, I don't see things changing in this land that I love. We need to confess that Isaiah's description of a wicked nation, that's who we are. We will not find peace until we confess our sin to God. Unbelievers and believers. Then we need to turn to the conqueror of sin and acknowledge who he is. And so I close with this. Christian, make sure you are right before him. Are you right with God today? Or do you have a life full of respectable sins? Well, I'm not as bad as. No, no. God doesn't have any respectable sins that he, that he just passes on. Okay? Are you right? Are you right now? You've been saved, now through righteous living and spirit dependence. You can lovingly confront the lost with their need of Christ. But be careful of your tone. Be careful. And remember that the vengeance isn't ours. It's the Lord's. So let's remember justice. Remember Isaiah 59. Shut your TV off. Go back to Isaiah 59. And let God minister to your heart. Father, we've covered a lot of ground today. I knew that we'd go a little longer. Because all of this is the collective thought of how you ministered to Isaiah's heart. And how, as believers, we need to let you minister to our hearts right now. And God, I pray that you would just help us to remember 
what we are as a nation. Help us to be willing to confess what we are as a nation. And then to look to Christ. To pray for our land. To pray for ourselves that we would be right and just. Upright. But then to remember that the warrior redeemer has called the redeemed to be warriors by taking the gospel in love to the world. We go in full armor. But Lord, we go lovingly pleading with souls, understanding they're in condemnation and darkness. Lord, help us to be right and help us to be obedient. Pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.